Hey guys, you're listening to episode 65 of the Finish Line Podcast, where we discuss the intersection of faith, generosity, and personal finance. Today we're talking to David Campaign, financial advisor with Ronald Blue Trust. Hey there, welcome to the show. My name is Keelan, and I'm here with my co-host and brother Cody. Today, we're talking to David Campaign, financial advisor with Ronald Blue Trust, where he spent the majority of his career. As God has stretched David and his wife in their own generosity, God has developed in him a passion for sharing the joy and freedom of generosity with his clients and others. He has helped many explore their own journeys of generosity in his career as an advisor and had plenty of stories to share with us today. Stay tuned to hear it all. Before we get started, you know this podcast has grown almost exclusively by word of mouth. For those of you who have helped us get the message out there by sending a link to a friend or sharing on social media, we just want to say thanks. It really makes an impact. If you think this or any of our other conversations are thought-provoking or inspiring, take a second to share it with somebody who might need to hear it. We have been blown away at how God has used some of these stories to make a radical impact in the world of generosity and missions, and you very well might be a link in that chain. All right, let's get to the interview. All right, we're here with David Campaign from Ronald Blue Trust. David, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Thank you, Keelan. It is an honor and pleasure to be with you. So why don't you kick us off just telling us a little bit about who you are and where you come from. Absolutely. There's a great quote I heard a couple of years ago in a book by Doug Holliday called Rethinking Success, and it came out of a conversation that Doug had with Peter Buffett, the son of legendary investor Warren Buffett. And here was the quote, we are each born into someone else's story. And this quote has just stuck with me and resonated with me ever since I read that. So the story I was born into with my parents, Kurt and Betsy Campaign, has definitely shaped me into the man I am today. And I have reflected a lot on this the last few years as I lost my mom to cancer back in September of 2011. She was 70 years old at the time, and I was in my mid-30s. And then my dad's health deteriorated a few years later, and he passed away in July of 2019 at the age of 77. So these two passages of Scripture have taken on an even deeper meaning for me as I'm in this halftime season of life right now in my late 40s, and the fact that my parents passed away much sooner than I anticipated. And you all may be familiar with these passages. It's Psalm 90, verses 10 and 12, and it says, Our days may come to 70 years or 80 years if our strength endures. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And losing my parents in their 70s, that verse takes on a much deeper meaning to me. And then Ephesians 5, 15 to 17 are some other favorites of mine that talks about be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. And Keelan, I can tell you, I've lived with a carpe diem, seize the day mentality for many years of my life with the goal of living my life with intentionality, with meaning and purpose, and not wanting to miss any opportunity or experience that God puts in front of me. But I can tell you that that carpe diem mentality amped up a good bit more after losing my parents younger than I thought. 
So just a little background on my mom and dad, if that would be helpful. My mom was born and raised in Washington, D.C., went to American University for college. And then my dad was born and raised in Albany, New York. He went to college at the University of Vermont and got to Washington, D.C. to get his Master of Divinity degree at Wesley Theological Seminary. And that's how he met my mom in D.C. And my dad's first pastor appointment after coming out of seminary in 1970 was at Asbury United Methodist Church in Northwest Washington, D.C. And this is what was amazing to me in his story. He was the only white pastor at an all-black church. This is 1970, just two years before 1968, Dr. King's assassinated, all the riots in D.C. and elsewhere around cities in the country. And I would say that was almost as unheard of then as it is now, and only you know a white pastor in an all-black church. But I can tell you that definitely had a profound influence on me as my parents' friends, so many of them were of a different race, different color growing up. And that, you know, my mom and dad, you know, taught me, you know, you look at people as people created in the image of God, not by their skin color, as Dr. King said in his I Have a Dream speech, you know, not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And I just want to share that briefly this note that I got about a week after my dad passed away in July of 2019. And this is from an old friend of his. I had never met this gentleman. Just wanted to share a little piece of this because I just think it's amazing, the ripple effect that our lives can have in other people's lives. And he just said, yeah, David, I just want to let you know that your dad influenced my career and calling in an amazing way. Back in seminary in 1973 to 74, I did my student work at Asbury United Methodist Church on K Street in Washington, D.C. And at the time, your dad was the associate pastor under Frank Williams. He was one of the first cross-racial appointments in the conference. And he and I talked a lot about that since I was the first white student pastor they had received. And your dad was extremely helpful in guiding this old Arkansas boy who grew up in a totally segregated society and how to reap huge benefits from the student assignment even making positive contributions myself to the life of the church. So when I graduated, I was stunned when the bishop assigned me to an all-black congregation in Martinsburg, West Virginia. While I was there with your dad at Asbury United Methodist Church, I think I learned more about how to be a good pastor than I did in all my years at seminary. I learned later that Kurt and Frank both had recommended me to the bishop for a cross-racial appointment, a rare occurrence in those days. I'm now retired but I know that my career as a pastor was strongly enhanced by the influence of your dad. God's peace for you and your family. Well, David, thank you so much for sharing that. I think it's really helpful to understand where you're coming from to give context to where you are today. I'm really curious with that background, how did that influence what you decided to do with your life as you went out into the world? Yeah, thanks, Cody. So again, I grew up a pastor's kid or a preacher's kid. So once a pastor's kid, always a pastor's kid, or once a PK, always a PK. And honestly, you know, I thought about following in my dad's footsteps as a pastor, you know, watching him and, you know, on student Sundays, I would be the one up there in the pulpit preaching when we, when the youth did the services some of those times. But I would say that as I got more into high school and the college, my life story took a different route. I became very interested in business and finance. 
my mom's brother. So my uncle was a stockbroker and I visited him at his office in Washington, DC and got to see a little bit of how he interacted with, you know, his clients. And I thought this is a neat thing. So let me explore this a little bit more. So what my transition to looking to go more into business happened, I would say in late high school and then certainly into my college years, I went to Towson University in the Baltimore area and I got my bachelor's degree in political science and economics. At first, I thought I was going to be an attorney and go into politics and change the world. But I did an internship in politics, and the Lord revealed to me that that wasn't where he wanted me. We do need godly people in politics, but that just wasn't the path I wanted to keep going on. So my senior year of college, I did an internship at a brokerage firm called Lake Mason in Baltimore, and that led to after graduation, being given an opportunity to join a senior brokers team in, at Lake Mason for about two years as kind of an apprentice, learn the ropes, get my Series 6, Series 7 licenses, some of the financial services licenses. So I did that for two years and then had the opportunity to start building my own book of business, which I did for about a year. And then here's where God intersected my path again. I met a man named Jim Wise, who I know you all have had on your podcast about three years after college, and I was three years at Lake Mason, and I heard Jim speak at a Christian businessman committee, CBMC outreach luncheon, and he shared part of his life story about chasing the so-called American dream of financial success in the brokerage industry, and only to find it was not all it was cracked up to be when he had, quote-unquote, arrived financially. You know, Jim found it lacked the meaning, purpose, and fulfillment that he thought the financial success would provide. And I think as he shared it in the podcast with you, that was when he and his wife, Lori, came to a faith in God and Jesus as adults in their mid-30s at that time. And then soon after that, Jim left Wall Street to become a, an advisor at Ronald Blue Trust. So Jim's testimony and story, me, I'm hearing this in my early to mid-20s, really resonated with me because I could have kept going on that track at the brokerage firm and maybe been where Jim was when I got, you know, 10, 15 years into that at Lake Mason. And so I reached out to Jim after that event that he spoke at just to see if he'd be willing to be kind of a mentor for me and a friend in the business world, share his, you know, wisdom and experience that he had already gained. Well, that friendship and relationship turned into God opening a door for me to join Jim at Ron Blue in 2001 because he was launching a new Baltimore branch office. And that was, 2001 was a great year. That was the, also the year I got married to my wife, Kristen, and we bought our first home. So we had a lot, <laughs> a lot going on in 2001. But yeah, Cody, never did I imagine that I would find both a career and a calling in my mid-20s when I left Leg Mason and Jim hired me to come work at Ron Blue Trust with him and to start to build the Mid-Atlantic area of client service for Ronald Blue Trust. I could not have asked for a better friend, a better mentor, and a better boss than Jim in those early years of my career. So he was our managing director here in Baltimore from 2001 to 2009, and then he transitioned to lead our Orlando office in 2009. So where are we? We're coming up into 2023, and March 2023 will be 22 years for me at Ronald Blue Trust. Now, David, I know you have a heart for generosity. I'm curious where along the line that kind of got launched where God really kind of started to get your attention on that front as well. Yeah, Keelan, I'm going to circle back to my parents again. I saw generosity modeled 
so well by my parents. And it wasn't just about generosity in giving money. It was also generosity in giving of time and talents to the causes, the ministries, and charities you care about. And my mom in particular modeled so well what it means to serve others. She was volunteering in something all the time, a number of worthy causes. I mean, obviously, when my dad was serving in the pastor role, she was like the first lady of the church. So I can remember Advent workshops and bazaars, and she led the preschool. And then when he transitioned to doing something else, then she was still volunteering in so many things with time and talent, as well as giving financially. And I'll share one very practical example of this that's unique to everyone physically. And it was my mom became, in her adult years, a regular blood donor for the American Red Cross. And she did that for many years until her physical health began to decline. And when I saw her do that, I was like, hey, when can I do that? (laughs) And I think it's 17 or 18 years old is when you can start donating blood. So I did that, following my mom's footsteps. And as I learned in that first donation and everything, and looking back in my records, my blood type is O negative. And for any medical people out there listening, that is the universal blood type. And on the American Red Cross website, it notes only 7% of the population in the United States has O negative blood. And it's the safest blood for transfusions, for immune deficient newborns, saw something else that said just one car accident victim can require up to 100 units of O negative blood. And I actually just gave my most recent power red blood donation last week, and I'm almost up to 12 gallons over my lifetime. So I'll say I'm very thankful, very grateful. God has blessed me with good physical health to be a regular blood donor. And I feel a sense of responsibility to keep doing that on a regular basis as long as I'm physically able. And, you know, there's a, I've looked up this verse just recently. Leviticus 17.11 says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. So, you know, it just runs through us. Jesus died and shed his blood for us. You know, just the spiritual and physical components of that are really key. And then there's something else, too, in this area of volunteering that I saw an article in the National Christian Foundation in January of 21 that it reminded me of my mom right away. And the title of the article was Five Reasons Volunteering is Good for You. (laughs) And here are those five reasons as it shared in the article. Volunteering is good for you. It gives you longer life, number one. Number two, better cognition and general mental health. Number three, overall better physical health. Number four, better social relationships. And number five, life satisfaction. And it noted that the older you get and the more volunteering you do, that's going to help all those five areas. And I would say one other thing here, too, that you all may have seen this. I've seen those studies and surveys out there that ask 85-plus-year-old people what they would have done differently if they had their life to live over again. And these were common answers that came from those studies. They said, I would have risked more. I would have reflected more. I would have traveled more. I would have learned more. I would have have invested more in meaningful relationships. And this one really hit me. I would have done more things that live on after I die. In other words, being invested in giving more time, talents, and treasures to causes that would outlive a person. So I don't want to get to the end of my life, Keelan, and be saying, oh, I wish I had done more 
of those things. And mom and dad modeled that so well. And I would say this, these have become kind of two mantras for me in this area, you know, giving freely of our time, our talents and our treasure is the only antidote to selfishness, greed and materialism. And then secondly, the importance of being an ambassador or a champion for the ministries and charities that you support, giving not only of your financial resources, not just writing a check or donating stock, but also giving of your time and talents. Yeah, David, there's so much wisdom in what you just reflected upon. And you clearly had a wonderful example of how to live, just kind of a framework to lean upon when you got older and you were out on your own and getting married and making a lot of important decisions for yourself and for your family. And I think that foundation is so powerful and important. But as you started to really launch out into your career, you're working with clients, you're taking exams. I couldn't help but notice in the Series 7 when I took it, there's not a lot of scripture in there. But I'm curious how scripture and the things that you were learning in your career intersected and how that influenced the way that you worked with clients. Yeah, Cody, that's a great question. And I think being part of Ronald Blue Trust, where a biblical worldview is just part of the DNA of our company, that taught me a lot from the beginning back in when I started here in 2001. But another thing, too, is with my dad as a pastor, he, along with my mom, planted in my heart from a young age a love for God's Word. And as I got the opportunity to become part of Ron Blue after I met Jim, I had never heard of Ron Blue. So I picked up some of his books, like Master Your Money, and that led on into other books, Larry some of Larry Burkett's books. And it just opened my eyes of, wow, there's over 2,000 verses in the Bible that deal with money and possessions and how to handle those. So it just created a hunger in my heart to learn more and to dig into that. And I would say this too, Cody, that, you know, again, my dad is a pastor. He wasn't one of those New York Times bestselling author pastors. We didn't have a whole lot of money <laughs> growing up, but God always provided just what we needed. And this scripture passage just really speaks to me personally. And then also I share it a lot with clients. And I've had the blessing of seeing clients who, again, are trustworthy with a little and God entrusts them with more. So Jesus tells us this in Luke 16. He talks about being faithful in the little things so that we can be entrusted with bigger things. And Jesus said this in those verses, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Isn't that a powerful <laughs> couple of verses there? I mean, Jesus just hits the nail on the head right there. And Cody, I'd also say, too, there's so much wisdom in the wisdom books found in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes that personally my wife and I have applied over the last 20 plus years when we started learning these concepts and then also my career here at Ron Blue. But you know, some, some of those ones around planning and setting goals and spending less than you earn and building savings and 
diversifying investments and avoiding the use of debt or minimizing debt and becoming debt-free, being generous, being content with what God's given you, whether you're living in a lot or with a little, it's all in Scripture. And that's the amazing thing is, you know, you take these tests for the Series 7 or the Certified Financial Planner or the CFP designation, and you read these concepts, but then when you've also put Scripture with it, you're like, wait a minute, this has already been said before, but <laughs> it comes from Scripture because truth is truth. Yeah, I just find some of those verses in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes have been so powerful in terms of planning and just steady plotting and diversification and being content with what you have and and joyful. So yeah, so that's kind of where I've grown in that. And then if we get a chance, there are also a couple of books I would recommend to your listeners that have been pretty instrumental to me and continue to be kind of in my life journey and financial journey and generosity journey. The three books that have been instrumental to me in how I view money, generosity, and investing in experiences. Number one is Your Life Well Spent by Russ Crossan, and he is still at Ron Blue. He is the chief mission officer and executive vice president. He was Ron Blue's second employee and our CEO from 2002 to 2017. Amazing book. That was one of the first books required reading <laughs> here at Ronald Blue Trust was that one, A Trip Around the Sun. That's by Mark Batterson and Dick Foth. And then The Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn. And, you know, your life well spent that Russ talks about, he talks about the three types of capital that we will, each of us will accumulate and pass on one or a combination of these three types of capital. And he talks about these. Number one, financial capital, right? Money, material, resources, stocks, investments. That's financial capital. But more importantly, it's social capital and spiritual capital that we're also passing along to those who come after us, especially in our kids and in our grandkids. And social capital is, you know, responsibility, honesty, integrity, loyalty, you know, moral capital or morality flows out of the spiritual capital. And that spiritual capital is knowing the Bible, being able to apply it, you know, learning how to come to faith, how to walk in, by faith and trust in God and biblical principles around money management, raising your kids, relationships between husband and wife. So those three components, financial capital, social capital, and spiritual capital, are just so critical. And we need to make sure we're building spiritual and social capital as the foundation. Because if you just go after the financial capital and you don't build the spiritual and social capital, it can ruin the next generations of family members, I think, with that. So Russ has this great quote in his book that just encapsulates everything from that book. He said, a life well spent is a life that earns and uses money to buy time so that you can balance life in order to impact people, to be productive and godly members of society. And it's a life that focuses on the eternal in the realm of the temporal so that when we get to the end of our lives, we'll have been found faithful with what God considers important. So Your Life Well Spent is a great one. And A Trip Around the Sun had these words that leapt off the page for me when I read them. And this is something I love to do with my family and with others. And it kind of segues from Russ's book about building spiritual capital. And here's this quote from that book. It says, don't just accumulate possessions, accumulate experiences. 
Possessions are a dime a dozen. It's experiences that are the currency of a life well lived. And if we have time, do you want me to share one or two examples of how this is being recently, how this has been lived out? Yeah, please do. So one of the ministries that my wife Kristen and I got plugged into a few years ago is Wycliffe Bible Translators, helping to fund deaf Bible translations around the world. And the reason that's meaningful to us is that Kristen is a speech-language pathologist for her career, and she's fully hearing but is able to interpret for deaf students. She went to graduate school at Gallaudet University in Washington, D.C. for her master's degree in the late 90s, and the master's degree there is about half hearing and half deaf. So she immersed herself in the deaf culture those two years at grad school. So in July of last year, July of 21, our whole family was able to attend a President's Forum weekend for Wycliffe Bible Translators. And this was out in a beautiful resort in Beaver Creek, Colorado, in the middle of July. Absolutely gorgeous if you've been out that way in the summertime. (laughs) So amazingly beautiful. You're nestled in there in the Rocky Mountain Range. But we got so much spiritual refreshment and encouragement learning about not only the work that was happening in the deaf Bible translations going on, but so many other Bible translation work going on around the world. And they had a kids program for the very first time at this President's Forum weekend because I had attended one before, but it was only adults. So the fact that our kids who at the time were 11 and 13 could join us and be part of this, you know, yes, we're having an awesome experience, but there's also the spiritual capital that's being built in that. And then one other one very recent, which literally last weekend around Christmas time, was going to a special event at Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C., And that's a ministry we got plugged in with supporting when they got started in 2017, or when the museum launched in 2017. And the mission of the museum is something we love. It's inviting all people to engage with the transformative power of God's Word. And as you may know, it's the Green family who started Hobby Lobby, who are the founders of the Museum of the Bible. And they're mantra for what they believe is the same as ours. There's two things that will last for all of eternity. It's God's word and it's people's souls. And like their family, that's where we want to give our time, towels, and treasure to, to ministries who are invested in bringing people into a personal relationship with God who loves them and created them to do great things for his glory. So it's just fun for us to be able to take our kids on day trips from our home in Baltimore to Washington, D.C. to visit the museums and the memorials. Because going back to my parents again, that's something my mom did all the time with us because she was born and raised in D.C. She loved giving tours. She could have been an official tour guide in Washington, (laughs) D.C. So it's been so fun for me. I feel like I can feel my mom's spirit in me when I'm taking our kids to and others and other friends and family to visit the sites of D.C., the museums, the memorials. And it's really so much fun with the Museum of the Bible there now. So when we went to this partner celebration weekend just before Christmas, it was great. Got to see the Library of Congress. We had never been inside that building, actually. And the Museum of the Bible folks set that up for us. And then we were able to go to a very spirit-filled Christmas concert the Saturday night before Christmas to hear Keith and Kristen Getty sing. So it was kind of an Irish Christmas theme with that. So those would be two examples right there of 
amazing experiences, going to a different place that's not in your home city or hometown, but also getting spiritual capital built into our lives with that. Yeah, there's a lot to that. And it's really easy, especially as people are kind of thinking about end-of-life planning or legacy planning, the conversation is almost exclusively financial the vast majority of the time. And everything that you're saying is absolutely true, though. And it also affects how we you know, spend our time and our resources through our whole lives in terms of how can we build social and spiritual capital like that. So I think that's a fantastic point. I just want to point out two references for anybody who's hoping to look back. You mentioned Jim Wise earlier. We did interview him back on episode 61, if anyone is looking for that. And then also you mentioned Wycliffe. We did have the chance to interview the CEO of Wycliffe, John Chestnut, back on episode 49. So if anybody is hoping to look into either of those in more depth, we got into some great conversations with both of them. So you mentioned a lot about how this has impacted a lot of your career and your obviously your decision to join Ron Blue. I'm curious on the personal side, as, and it sounds like you got married around that time as well. How did you and your wife start to put together some of these pieces, you know, in the beginning in terms of finding a structure for determining how much to give and how God kind of has stretched you over the years on that front? Yeah, Keelan, I think with giving, we started out with the idea of giving a percentage of our income, and that's where we were, you know, the common hey, 10% is a starting place. Now, I used to think that was the ending point, (laughs) but that's where God's worked on me over the years. And obviously being part of Ronald Blue Trust and seeing our clients being so generous, going way over 10% in there of income and giving. But we started there and we decided when we got married that we never wanted to not tithe. So 10% was the beginning, but we knew it wasn't going to be the end of it. We wanted to keep going from there. And that's what we've done, you know, increasing that percentage, uh, typically by between a half and 1%, you know, each year with that. And I would say, too, that as the Lord has allowed us to earn more income over the years with our careers, we're also at the point now in our late 40s looking at not just giving a percentage of our income, but also giving, now that we've built up an asset base, giving a percentage of growth and net worth. Now, I know 2022 has not been a growth and net worth on any of our (laughs) investment accounts, but we've had a lot of years where there's been a lot of growth. And even in a down year like this, we have still been faithful to give and encouraging the same thing with our clients to give. So I would say it definitely started out as a percentage of income, but the more we've moved along. And I shared, obviously, my parents had passed away. There was a little bit of inheritance we received and we tithed and gave off of that. And that, you know, added to the net, our own nesting as well. And I want to be faithful with what they have entrusted to us from that component. And also we believe in giving spontaneously at times as the Lord leads and giving to help others where there's no charitable tax deduction for it. And I want to stop on that point. I think it's important for all of us to note that I think from God's perspective, God does not distinguish between deductible and non-deductible charitable giving. All giving is important in God's economy, 
And there may become a time when the IRS takes away the generous rules it has in place for, you know, giving charitably, like up to 60% of adjusted gross income being able to give away. But if that were taken away, I pray and hope that those of us who are following the Lord and following God and, and are generous, we're still going to give it. We might have to pay some more in taxes, but we're still going to give it. I would also offer this as a great resource that's helped us in the last couple of years. There is an organization called Kingdom Advisors that folks can check out. And Kingdom Advisors is actually an organization that our founder, Ron Blue, started back in 2003 when he handed the CEO baton off to Russ Cross. And he went to start Kingdom Advisors because he knew there are only so many people from a capacity standpoint that we can serve at Ron Blue. And Ron's always been a visionary, and he wanted to see more people at other financial services firms, maybe some of the Wall Street firms, integrate biblical principles of finance, what we've done at Ron Blue, what he built up at Ron Blue, to take that even further. And I think there's over 2,000 members now of Kingdom Advisors and growing. And myself and a lot of us at Ronald Blue Trust are also Kingdom Advisors and are part of that organization. But they have a great resource that's been helpful. It's kind of gives the three key areas of where we can give to God's kingdom work happening in the world. And those three areas are ministry of God's word. So that's things like evangelism, preaching, teaching, discipleship. Like Wycliffe Bible translators would fall, I think, in that category there. And Museum of the Bible would probably fall in that category. The second is ministry of God's mercy. So that's you know, a ministry to the poor and needy, to prisoners, think of prison fellowship ministries, food, clothing, shelter, healing, and recovery. So that was number two. And then number three is ministry of God's justice. So widows and orphans, the oppressed, maybe those areas of sex trafficking, helpless victims. So I actually think Jim Wise may have developed this for Kingdom Advisors, <laughs> but it's been a very helpful resource and tool, and I can get you a PDF copy of it or the link to it, but that's really helped us in determining, okay, Lord, you've given us this money. Now, where do we actually give it? And it's also been a very helpful piece talking with clients about that, especially clients who've been blessed with you know, a lot of wealth and financial capacity to give, and they just need help. Like, where do I actually give it? But yeah, so it really started there in the percentage and then doing spontaneous giving. And then we may get into this or we can do this now, but the concept of the finish line, do you want to get into that? Because that's been in the last year and a half since I met these two guys who wrote a great book called God and Money, John Cortinez and Greg Baumer. That's just catalyzed things for us. And I mean, I've been talking about that for 21, 22 years at Ronald Blue Trust, but the way they wrote it in their book, it just, it really catalyzed some things for us. Yeah, David, I know the last time we talked, you mentioned this as well, and I'd love for you just to share a little bit more about how that concept became more of a consideration for you personally, and then also how you've been able to kind of identify opportunities to share more about finish lines with clients. Yeah, Cody, Ron Blue has a great quote. If you don't set a financial finish line, you'll never quit <laughs> because there's always more, right? I think John D. Rockefeller was asked that question. Well, how much is enough? Just a little bit more. So until a finish line's set, you'll never quit. And you have to figure out what that is and quantify that. So 
Well, my wife and I heard John and Greg share at the Wycliffe Bible Translators President's Forum Weekend in Beaver Creek, Colorado. It was last July. It was July of 21. We each received a copy of their book, and I read it on the plane ride home. And they give some very practical steps in their book of how do you go about doing this with some numbers. <laughs> and they talk about, you know, setting your spending finish line first. So, you know, maybe that's 150000 a year for somebody. Maybe that's 200000 a year or 250000 a year. And they share a story in that book about a very successful entrepreneur and business owner, a guy named Alan Barnhart, who pretty much set a spending finish line of around that 150 to 250,000 a year. He could have lived off of, you know, millions, I think, in a year. But he set a finish line and essentially gave his company away so that all profits would go into kingdom work. And you all may have interviewed some other folks like this. Jeff Rutt, the founder of Keystone Custom Homes and Hope International, has recently done something like that. That's pretty amazing. So I think setting the spending finish line. And so my wife and I have looked at that. It's like, okay, here's where we are now. And as you know, we've paid off our mortgage on our house. And so that frees up a lot of cash flow for saving and for giving, you know, the closer we get to retirement years, quote unquote, retirement years, like our late sixties, let's say that's where we're going to keep, I think, refining what that looks like of like, Hey, what is that spending finish line? And then the other thing these guys talk about John and Greg in the book is then setting a wealth accumulation finish line. Now they mentioned in their book of, you know, for them, it's looking at, okay, if the Lord allows us to acquire say between 4 million and above, or say 4 million to 10 million, well, any excess over whatever that wealth accumulation finish line is, I know they want to give away to kingdom causes during their lifetime. And my wife and I feel the same way. Let's just say, our wealth accumulation finish line, let's say it's 5 million. And what if God gives us 8 million or 9 million or 10 million by the time we're in our late sixties or early seventies and we're retiring. I want to make sure that when we get to that finish line, even if we're still working, that we're giving it away so that it's not compounding more in the investments and the savings. You know, another Ron Blue quote, he said, do your giving while you're living. So you're knowing where it's going. And again, back to my parents, you know, if I don't want to wait till some future point that, okay, I have this much money and now we can give even more, you know, it's kind of beware of the if or when I get to this, then I'll do it. It goes back to that passage in Luke 16, where it's like, no, you're faithful along the way, right? So the other thing they mentioned in the book is said, consider accumulating no more than 33 times your spending finish line. So I'm a financial planner. I, okay, what's the math with that? All right, here you go. <laughs> if 33 times your spending finish line helps you determine your wealth accumulation finish line. So if your spending finish line is 150000 a year, well, if you take 150000 times 33, it equals $4.95 million. If you want 200000 a year as your spending finish line, take 200000 a year times 33, that means $6.6 million. And then if you want 250000 a year times 33, that's $8.25 million. And as they note in the book, kind of where does the 33 times your spending finish line number come up? Well, it's roughly 33 times one spending finish line is you can roughly generate the finish line in investment earnings each year. Like if you're earning 3 to 3.5% 3 off of your nest egg of a couple of million. So that was really... I don't know. They just put it, it was really eye opening. They just put it in a very simple way. So I actually have made a one page summary with those 
statistics there to hand to clients and to keep in front of us personally. And they also talk in their book about a 3S framework. There's folks who lean to being a spender, folks who lean to being a saver, and folks leaning to being a servant. And I think as followers of Jesus, we want to be a servant. But they talk about that. You know, I think Greg's personality was the spender and John's was the saver. <laughs> you know, my wife was probably more the spender and I was more the saver. And we've come more to a meet, you know, kind of the middle there. But, you know, they talk about that. Rather than just examining the percent of income spent, saved, or given, it's better to ask the question, hey, where would I focus my thoughts and efforts if my income began dramatically increasing over time? So, you know, the spender is, you know, hey, that's someone who pursues the greatest possible present consumption. And that's a lot of people in the Western world, even if mindful of a need to save some. The saver mentality is, okay, let's limit consumption to some extent so we can focus instead on increased wealth building and wealth accumulation. But the servant, and this is where my wife and I want to be, and I know John and Greg want to be, a servant is possessing the rarest mindset of all that orients life around both limiting consumption to a point and limiting wealth building to a point. So the focus can be on giving the most money during their lifetime along the way that is possible towards blessing other people. Yeah, so much in what she just said there. And I think both Cody and I have read God and Money as well. And a fantastic breakdown of just that whole kind of thought process with what I think a lot of people appreciate, a lot of real numbers because I think there's a lot of in the generosity kind of discussion, a lot of not sharing any concrete numbers. And sometimes it's just helpful to hear, you know, how people approach it in terms of everyday numbers. So you mentioned a couple fantastic people there. We were fortunate to have both John and Greg early on in different episodes. John Cortinez was back in episode 13, Greg Bomber on episode 19, if anybody wants to hear a little bit more of their stories and they share a little bit more about their book as well. Our last episode, actually episode 64, we had Jeff Rutt to share all the stuff going on in his life, as well as his decision to give away the vast majority of his company as well. So a lot more to dig into if you're interested. David, I am curious, you and your wife had been increasing in generosity over all these years. And then you said in the last couple of years, kind of changed the whole framework. I'd love to hear what that initial process was like, especially working through that with your wife and kind of what some of those early conversations were as far as making that kind of a shift to a finish line structure. And then also kind of how your mindset has changed, what you've noticed, you know, different since making that decision. Yeah. Keelan, another thing that was helpful is we also did a journey of generosity in the last couple of years that generous giving sponsors. So very timely <laughs> in this discussion. And that weekend away, or kind of the 24-hour retreat that we did away, kind of, Cody, you and I were talking about this beforehand. There's a great book by Mark Batterson called The Circle Maker, and he mentions this in some other books, but kind of you get a change of place and a change of pace will give you a change of perspective. And the journey of generosity, when we did that, we went to a beautiful place over on the Eastern shore with several other couples who were on this, you know, financial stewardship journey and generosity journey. And we actually had time and not distraction to be able to talk about this stuff. And I think that's important for 
folks, you got to carve out that time to get away because that helped us to get on the same page and talk through this in doing a journey of generosity. So I highly encourage those journey of generosities, the generous giving sponsors. And then something else too, Keelan, is, you know, here we are coming up on end of the year. We are always looking at this, definitely kind of looking at the year end numbers and where all that landed and that, Hey, what do we want to do going ahead into the new year? So I will say this. My wife is a speech pathologist. She's not a financial planner. She's not a financial person. <laughs> However, we communicate about this, and I've gotten it down to where I give her the big picture. She does not need all the intricate details of the Excel spreadsheets that I keep. So I've learned this with her and also with clients, especially some spouses that I work with too. You need to give the big picture, kind of the five uses of money or four uses of money, right, and make it a visual form. And that's been helpful for her to see and also to, you know, look at the ministries that we've been able to support. And, you know, we get the things in the mail or an email. And that's something that we'll talk about often, too, is, wow, our generosity is helping to do this or do that. And it just kind of spurs more generosity, if you know what I mean. And I will say this, if left to my own devices, I would probably give to too many ministries because, my wife knows I – she calls me a sucker in some ways. Like if I get the the mailer with the kid in Africa, oh, I'm going to be giving to that or that. So she's actually helped me to say, okay, David, I know you would just spread it out and probably make it spread it too thin. Let's – you know, where we are each year and go year by year, hey, where do we want to focus? Obviously, our local church is a big part of our charitable giving but it's also these ministries we've gotten plugged in with the last year. We've also built relationships with staff and leadership of these ministries and met the people who our money and giving is helping. And that, when you can almost like touch it and feel it in a deeper way, we've actually started giving more to some of those ministries. So in other words, cutting down on the longer list of ministries that I might have had, my wife has actually helped me, hey, let's focus in some more in doing that. Because there's right, there's always going to be unlimited places to give our money. And it's like, hey, what does God place on our hearts at this time? And it can change over time. And there could be new ministries that we're introduced to. And we get really, we feel a stirring from God's spirit of, hey, I think you should get involved with this. So yeah, the communication is key and talking about that. And I would encourage folks on this who are listening to this, if your spouse is not into the financial planning and the spreadsheets and stuff, just make it, just show pictures, make it big picture (laughs) and give kind of the key details, but it doesn't have to be the very details that financial planner people like me might give. (laughs) Yeah. I think just from listening to you talk during this interview, it's very evident that financial generosity has been a doorway into becoming involved in something that God is doing. And uh, you use the term ambassador for the ministries that you're supporting. I think that is such an appropriate role that you embody when you start to become generous toward a cause that is aligned with God's heart for people. So I really love the way that you framed that and expanded generosity from a conversation around what should I do with the money that God's given me? It's so much broader than that and so much more beautiful than, you know, I wrote a check and it made me feel good today. I think that's often the beginning of what generosity looks like in our lives. I'm really curious, David, 
how does this conversation around finish lines and kind of answering that question, how much is enough, has it made a difference in the way that you think about the future? Cody, it absolutely has. And I'll say this too, for Kristen and I, as well as the clients that I'm working with, and when I start to introduce this concept of finish lines, especially if it's a new client or if it's a client who's never even heard of the concept before of you know setting finish lines, I've just found personally and in my own career, it is very important to meet people right where they are in their life journey, the spiritual journey they're on, the generosity journey they're on. Because they might not be, you know, we're 21, 22 years into doing this. We're not where we were in 2001. Like if someone had called us to this then, you know, I would have said, that's crazy. There's no way we could do that. (laughs) But it's that I think, you know, you meet people where they are. And that's the way Jesus modeled it, right? As he encountered people and discipled people. But that's it. It's like introduce the concept and it's a journey. And I think the Apostle Paul talks about this so well in 1 Corinthians 3, where it's, you know, I planted and Apollos watered the seeds, but God's the one who makes things grow. And it comes through conversations. It comes through, I think, sharing encouraging articles or reading encouraging articles and books on generosity, like God and money, sharing podcasts like the ones you all are doing on generosity and this finish line concept. Because I'm just thinking of one of my clients I started working with in 2012, At that point, he had worked for the company for about 32 years, risen through the ranks, and the last six years of his career, he was the president and CEO of the company, just being blessed with making a lot of income and the stock options kind of thing. And I started introducing this along the way. It wasn't, hey, you need to do all this right away. It was kind of plant a seed, water a seed with articles, with books, and hey, what I'm learning in my own generosity journey with this and talking about with other clients. So I think that's the important piece. Don't We just need to meet people where they are and not expect them to be, hey, further down the line because we're all on a journey, if that makes sense. There would be one other thing, the importance of having someone who can help keep you accountable in the finish line concept, You know, setting your finish line, and then, hey, well, once you actually get there, Do you have someone saying, okay, David and Kristen, you've told me this was your finish line for wealth accumulation. Is that still the case? (laughs) Because we're still in the journey of getting there to the wealth accumulation finish line. I mean, where we are now, we haven't arrived at what we set yet, but we're on that journey. So I would say one of the best things I love about being an advisor at Ronald Blue Trust is that each of us as advisors have to have our own financial plan prepared and reviewed by a fellow advisor every year to make sure that we're practicing what we preach to our clients in planning and setting goals and spending less than you earn, building savings, giving, getting out of debt, becoming debt-free, being generous, being content with what God has given. So I would say that's a critical component with the accountability piece that even me as a financial advisor I need my own, another financial advisor to be looking at Kristen and my stuff as well, because yeah, I can do all the numbers and I can do all this, but I mean, you need that outside person who's not as emotionally invested, especially for, you know, especially when you're a married couple. Have you all found this as well personally or (laughs) with other folks you've talked to? Yeah, we've heard this concept. I think John and Greg, who you've mentioned, were some of the first that talked about it for me. And that was something that Keelan and I have talked about and just kind of 
laid all of the numbers and all the financial data out and gotten our wives together and said, here's the picture. What do you think? I need some feedback and organizing how to plan for the future. And that was really freeing. I think maybe a little bit of fear going into that of judgment or whatever it might be is natural, but you know, we're brothers. So that was reduced on our end, but that exercise that we went through and I hope to be able to continue going through really not only helped build accountability and trust, but it also built a sense of community, which I think is also really critical in this process. Absolutely. And there's one other thing maybe to circle back on. I had mentioned the Treasure Principle book by Randy Alcorn. And one of the key things in there he talks about is with giving especially is you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Where you know the reference point for that great little book is Matthew 6, 19 to 21, like storing up treasures in the right place, right? If we store up treasures here on earth, that's where thieves can break in and steal. Jesus is not opposed to storing up treasure. He just wants to make sure we're storing them up in the proper place with treasures in heaven. And I think giving helps us live with an eternal perspective. And one of my favorite books is Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. And since we're recording this the day after Christmas, I've got to just share why I love this story so much. I reread it every year, and I just read it this month. And I always watch one of the movie adaptations of A Christmas Carol with, there's a lot of them out there, but my favorite one is the one with George C. Scott in the 1980s, probably because I grew up with it. (laughs) But I think that book provides such a great example and illustration of keeping an eternal perspective on things in life. Generosity obviously being an important component of that. But as so many people know, right, A Christmas Carol begins with Ebenezer Scrooge being wealthy, but also miserable. Like he's mean-spirited, he's cold-hearted, he's greedy. But after encounters with the ghost of his former business partner, Jacob Marley, and then being haunted by the ghost of Christmas past, Christmas present, and Christmas yet to come, Ebenezer Scrooge is given a second chance at life. And it's just amazing to see that transformation, right? When you read it or when you watch the film version of it, And so what was the source of that transformation? I think it was gaining an eternal perspective. So Scrooge had, you know, a supernatural intervention, and he was allowed to see his past, his present, and his still changeable future through the eyes of eternity. And I think that's the same insight we should always be asking God for in our own lives. And I'd also say there, too, is that it's never too late to be who you might have been, you know, (laughs) that God does not waste anything, and you're never too old to start giving generously. Yeah, that's so true. And I think that that concept of doing everything in light of eternity is the most helpful guiding principle for all of the smaller decisions that factor into generosity, because it's really easy to get caught into the micro decisions and the numbers and all the nuances, but bringing it back up to how does this affect eternity, which, you know, we're living in one minute of the clock of eternity, you know, so I agree completely. So as you look on ahead to the next five or 10 years, what are you excited about and how is God continuing to move and stretch you today? Yeah, Keelan, that's a great question. (laughs) 
Yeah, you know, with our kids now at 12 and a half and 14 and a half, we know we only have a couple more years with them both under our roof. So that I mentioned earlier about the concept of using some of our funds to invest in experiences and trips and things like that and opportunities to build spiritual capital. We're going to be really amping that up even more, I think, with only a couple more years left. And not that we can't do that once they get into their you know, through college and into their 20s and early adulthood. But we all know it, right? We grow up and then the Lord may bring us a spouse and then we get married and start our own family. So I know that all that's going to be changing in the time ahead. So, you know, we'll still want to do those special things with them, but I'm looking forward to that. We've already done a good chunk of that. And my prayer is that, you know, the foundations we've been laying, you know, they're in the teenage years that they'll <laughs> they'll remember this. They are still teenagers, and the you know the pool of culture is pretty strong. But they'll remember these things we've been building into them on the spiritual capital, as well as the fun stuff that we're doing in these experiences. So I'm looking forward to more of that. Also, with just my wife and I, as they move on into college years, just you know more travel, and also the opportunities to do more of going where we're giving to with ministries like. We haven't had as much opportunity with the kids being younger to, you know, Hope International is another ministry that we we love to support and really gotten plugged in with them of doing one of their experience Hope trips over in Africa or in South America. Some of these places that they're serving and where our, our giving is helping these folks to learn about the Bible and have a safe place to save and do microfinance loans and start businesses and things like that. To also do, you know, a vision trip, more mission trips, because that's what we haven't had as much opportunity just because of season of life and where the kids were. So I think that's, Keelan, is we're looking forward to that component amping up in the next, certainly in the next five to 10 years. And it's funny you mentioned that because, you know, at 47, my wife's 48. And when I was doing my financial plan this year, our financial plan this year with our financial advisor, and he's a similar age, I just had to pause and say, Mike, you know, 20 years from now, we're going to be 67. That's the full retirement age for Social Security. If the next 20 years go as fast as the last 20 years have for us, that's going to be here before we know it. <laughs> and because I think when you're younger, right, you're in your 20s and 30s. I mean, your 60s seems so far off. But now that we're in our late 40s, and as obviously a lot of the people I counsel are older than me, are in that phase and older, but the closer you get to it, it just, it really starts to amp up that, okay, make sure we're living life to the fullest for God's glory, that intentionality, that meaning, that purpose, because none of us are guaranteed tomorrow, right? Another book by Mark Batterson called Win the Day, he said, yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery, we each have 24 hours in a day, and part of that's also sleeping, so it's like, win the day, you take a day at a time, and we need to plan for the future, but you know, also just enjoy each day that we're given. Yeah, that sounds like a really exciting thing to look forward to with your family. Well, yeah. David, as we wrap up this episode, we just want to leave a little bit of time for our manager's minute. And we just want to leave our listeners with a practical action or tip that they can take to step into their role as stewards and to manage God's wealth wisely. So do you have any suggestions for our listeners today? Yeah, Cody, I really do think, I would say read John Cortinez and Greg Baumer's God and Money book. <laughs> and again, setting the spending finish 
line and the wealth accumulation finish line are so key. I would say that, again, never underestimate the ripple effect that each of our lives have on other people through giving generously of our time, our talents, and our treasure, and investing in accumulating experiences because I think that that is something people take with them and they remember yet long after, like long after my wife and I are gone and our kids are grown, I pray that they're always remembering, hey, remember those things that mom and dad built into us? Because I've shared about my parents and how much they built into me and my sister. And now we're repeating it, like, you know, the day trips to D.C. and things like that. So, but I really do think that the spending finish line, setting that and the setting the wealth accumulation finish line from John and Greg's book has just been so powerful. Yep. And it was powerful enough for us to start this podcast. So I think we'd completely agree <laughs> with you on that. Yeah. And the other thing I think I mentioned too is, and Cody, you brought it up too, is just, yeah, we need to be more than just writing a check to the ministries and the charities that we care about. We need to be an ambassador and a champion for those ministries that we support. Also volunteering, I think, our time and our talents too. And that's something I'm doing regularly with these ministries that we're giving to. And I get a good ribbing from friends, family, and colleagues that with some of these ministries, I have a good number of apparel from them from, you know, helping sponsor a golf tournament or whatnot. I've got Hope International. I've got Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I've got Museum of the Bible. So I'll be wearing this, you know, the apparel from these ministries and I'll get asked, oh, do you work for Museum of the Bible? No, but it's a ministry we're supporting. Let me tell you a little bit about it because you just never know who you're going to run into out at the grocery store. If you're traveling somewhere in an airplane, if you're going on a train, if you're wearing that, if it's not the organization or company you're working for, you can get an opportunity to share about a ministry with a complete stranger. And I've had that happen numerous times when I've been wearing some of the apparel from some of the ministries that we support. Yeah, and that's absolutely true that there's much more that we can do beyond finances. And I think that comes up with some frequency because it's absolutely true. Well, David, this has been such a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for sharing all that God has been doing through you and your family and excited to see what he continues to do in the years to come. Thank you, Keelan. Thank you, Cody. It's been a blessing and privilege to be with you all and great conversation. And I just encourage you, keep it going with the folks you're interviewing, the folks you've already interviewed for your podcast, a number of them I know, and they inspire and encourage me. And we need each other. And Cody, I think you mentioned it. It's a community. Obviously, when you're married, you have your spouse, but it also expands beyond that with, say, other married couples and co-workers and folks that you get to know in these ministries that you support. It's a community. Absolutely. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the show, guys. If you have questions about setting a financial finish line, the finish line movement, or anything else you heard on the show today, we would love to hear from you. And now I have a quick question for you. Do you know someone who is living a life filled with generosity, purpose, and mission? If so, we would love to talk to them. They don't need to have a financial finish line and they don't need to have all the answers. They just need a heart to steward God's wealth to the best of their ability. If you know someone like that, we would be honored if you would connect us. You can reach us on Instagram at finishlinepledge, through our website at finishlinepledge.com, or by email at hello at finishlinepledge.com. Finally, if you want to find any of our references or links from today's show, you can always find them in our show notes at finishlinepledge.com slash episode 65. That's all we have for today. We'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.